grace has found me just as I am. Empty handed, but alive in your hands. Singing majesty. Majesty. Forever I am changed. Forever I am changed by your love. In the beauty of your majesty. In the beauty of your majesty, majesty, majesty. So, Father, we thank you that we are created, we are saved, and we are sanctified by your love. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Hey, you know, I think it makes sense that in a church you'd have a pastor that preaches like maybe most of the time, so you get a consistent and rather comprehensive view of certain things like the gospel. But it's also weird to have one guy speaking all the time, right? I mean, wouldn't it make sense to have different people sharing their view of Jesus, their testimony of Jesus, and to hear the gospel from a different perspective? And so I'm really glad that that's what's happening this morning. Um, I want to introduce you to Trey Tomini. So this is Trey. Um, Trey's speaking this morning, and uh, I'm really grateful for Trey. Trey, we went to see you together, right, for we a did. while. We did. Yeah, so I didn't know Trey then, got to know Trey quite a bit in the last year or so. He's been a huge blessing to us in a whole bunch of ways. And so this morning, he's going to share with you something of uh, his experience with Jesus, which is really amazing. It's even more amazing than what he'll tell you. So you need to try to take him to lunch and ask him for more details, okay? And then he's also going to talk on a topic that I'm really grateful he's going to talk on because it's always a little weird for the pastor to talk on it since he gets his salary from the church. So anyway, Trey, why don't you come over here and uh, let's pray for Trey and then he's going to preach. All right? Sure. Father, thank you so much for Trey. I thank you for your life in him. I thank you for the story that you're writing in him. Lord, I thank you for his unique gifts, his unique perspective. I thank you for his generosity. I thank you for his love for uh, this church, for me, for you. And now, Lord God, we pray that you would bless Trey, that you would um, speak to each of us through Trey. So, Lord, through your spirit, would you open each of our hearts and help us to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Well, I'm new to public speaking, so on Friday, I called up Michael and I said, can I come over here and practice? Can I stand on the black box? And I'm on the black box right now, but then it was different because I was all alone. And all alone in this beautiful old building, I kind of got to take it all in and see, you know, just how beautiful the woodwork is and the stained glass, the organ pipes. But I want to tell you what, I'm standing here right now, and it's far more beautiful right now because it's full of the people of God 
I just want to thank you for coming because I think this is kind of what heaven looks like. It's the people of God gathering to worship him. So thank you for coming. So let's start out by praying. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Let us overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony in the name of the Lamb, Jesus. Well, happy, happy Father's Day, not just to you here present, I guess it won't be Father's Day then, but to everybody who watches later on the internet as well. Thank you, Peter, for my introduction. As I said, my name is Trey Tomini, and I'm going to share a testimony with you of my life and my life in Christ. So we're going to start with a short and famous video clip. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed. Well, in 1987, when that movie was released, I believed that greed is good. I was a successful young entrepreneur, had my own small empire of pizza delivery stores, kind of like Domino's, and in today's dollars, we were doing about $15 million a year in sales, and I was taking home about $2 million of it. And the thing was, at that time, I never gave a single nickel to anybody because I felt the money was more productive in my hands than in any other hand I could give it to. I also believed that I was righteous because unlike Gordon Gecko in the Wall Street movie, I had not gained my fortune through financial manipulation. Instead, I was running a business providing real goods and services to people who really liked what we had and were willing to pay for them. I was as ethical as I knew how to be at the time. I paid the employees pretty well. We sold very wholesome food, and I paid a staggering amount of taxes. And I believed I had a legitimate philosophical foundation for everything that I did. And that foundation made God unnecessary. I had fallen under the spell of Ayn Rand and free mar market capitalism. A favorite book of mine was the 1977 bestseller by Robert Ringer, Looking Out for Number One. I did not deny God at this point in my life. I just ignored him. I was doing good. I figured he'd respect that. So, in my own eyes, I was the complete package. Unlike today, I was young, athletic, wealthy, and attractive. I'd made my first million by the age of 22, at a time when doing it by 30 was still rare. I drove a new Porsche. I flew my own twin-engine airplane. I neither drank nor take drugs, and on a couple of occasions, when women came to my door just to offer themselves to me, I turned them away. So, I was the king of my world, and a righteous king at that. There was a small problem. I was absolutely miserable. As we read in Proverbs, chapter 26, verse 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 
I was wise in my own eyes, feeling I had accomplished much of what the world values, but I was desperately lonely, as there was not a lot of room in any room for me and my ego. I had the world, but I was without hope. I was without faith, and I was without love. What little hope I did have was to find the perfect mate. I was determined to avoid the fate of my parents' marriage. My father was a great guy, except on the days he drank. And he drank every day. Then he would proceed to abusing his wife and his children. The respite was on Sunday mornings, when we would all go to the Catholic Church together, and usually out to lunch afterwards. For three hours a week, we were a happy family. Even at a very early age, it was hard to reconcile the Catholic faith with my dad's behavior. My image of God, sometimes reinforced by the priests and nuns, was not of justice, but of injustice. I was determined at an early age to live a life of more justice than even God. So I spent much of my time in a search for what I believed would bring me love, the perfect wife. In those pre-internet days, I hung out at places college kids frequented, and one day, there she was, an athlete with model potential and red hair, like much of my family. Carrie brought me romantic love, and I abandoned most else. For six years, we had a magical relationship stopping to kiss one another every time we came to a red light. Five years younger than me, Carrie was a child at heart. I gave her much, and she reciprocated with gratitude. Every day with her then was a gift, given to her and given right back to me. She constantly described me as her knight in shining armor. I was so enamored with her and her love that I sold my business in the middle of a small business storm that could have been managed with more focus for me. We got married in an Episcopal cathedral, though neither of us had been anywhere near a church in a long time. But it was an impressive wedding for a young couple like us. Here's a picture as we left the church. We bought a house on a lake and a boat to tie up the dock out front and proceeded with the business of creating a family. And God provided. Fifteen months later, to us, a son was born. He was called Thomas Joseph Tomini IV, but he was actually called TJ after his father Trey III and grandfather Tommy Jr. and great-grandfather Tom Sr. His birth was kind of the opposite of Jesus. Instead of humble circumstances, he came home from the most modern of hospitals in a Mercedes and wore well-known labels instead of swaddling clothes. But to me, TJ might as well have been Jesus. Having him brought a sort of love into my life I'd never experienced before. He was hopeless, 
but he gave me hope. He changed me a lot more than I changed him. But he also changed my marriage. For Carrie, a childlike attitude was out. Using her new and extensive knowledge of child rearing was in. She, like me, was incredibly grateful for TJ, but now, perhaps a little less so for me. The knight in shining armor was often in the way of her meticulous child-rearing routines. When it came to TJ, she seized control, and I lost control. I didn't feel particularly fatherly on my first Father's Day. Shortly after TJ was born, Jesus came into my life. Jesus had made a run at me many times before. Let me share two of the most memorable instances. In my sophomore year of college, right here at CU Boulder, I owned one of the worst cars ever produced, a lemon yellow 1972 Chevy Vega hatchback. I paid little for it and got what I paid for as smoke billowed out the tailpipe everywhere I went. The smoke is caused by oil bypassing the pistons and getting into the combustion chamber. So one Sunday night, returning to Boulder from working the weekend at my Denver pizza delivery job, there was a huge blizzard. And as I was coming down Highway 36, down the hill into Boulder, the Vega just quit. And I was in big trouble because this was before cell phones. And it was snowing so hard that if somebody could see me broken down on the side of the road, they probably didn't have enough time to stop. And for reasons I still don't get, God sent a real live angel. Real live, as in an elderly man who pulled over and got under my hood with his wrench. In a few minutes, he emerged with a spark plug in his hand. Your plugs are fouled by oil leaks in the cylinder, he proclaimed. But what came next was what made this a God moment. You know, I've got exactly this kind of spark plug in the trunk of my car. I'll just replace all of yours and you'll be on your way. And that he did. And the Vega was up and running in about 20 minutes. I never even learned his name. I offered him the few dollars I had in my wallet. He wasn't interested. He counteroffered with the only thing that was apparently important to him, Jesus. He invited me to attend the student ministry where he was a volunteer. I sincerely thanked him, but never even considered checking out the ministry. I had once had a roommate who had gotten involved with that crazy group. That guy had miraculously transformed from someone who took a bong hit before his feet hit the floor in the morning into a religious zealot. So I'd already passed judgment on those people as someone to stay away from. Whether natural or supernatural, Jesus saved me out of that situation. Maybe this guy just drove around with a trunk load of spark plugs for all kind of crappy cars so he could rescue people for Jesus. Well, a second incident happened during the heyday of my pizza business when I was typically bored to death because I set up my stores and my business in such a way that it was utterly independent of me so I didn't have to do any work. 
I woke up on a sunny Sunday morning, and I looked out on my balcony, which oversaw the east side of El Paso. Now, if you've ever been in El Paso, it's a pretty good-sized city, actually, but it's got a mountain range running right down the middle of it, about the size of Lookout Mountain, only it's kind of ugly because there's not a single tree on any of those mountains. So I'm looking out there trying to figure out what to do, and I see a construction project off in the distance, and I said, oh, I think I read about that in the paper. That must be that new softball field that we're going to move our teams to once it's done. So I'll just drive out there because I'm bored and, and see what's going on. So I got out there on the intersection of Zaragoza Road and Interstate 10. There we go, what it looks like today. And I needed to turn left to get there. But there were seemingly hundreds of cars turning right. And as I looked right, I saw a big church building. And the church building didn't have a name like I was familiar with. It was called the Abundant Living Faith Center. And this is where I feel Jesus stepped in. There was no still, quiet voice whispering to me. Instead, it's what I would describe as the loudest, non-audible voice telling me, make the right turn. Well... My response was to make a quick calculation in my head. Since I'm so desperately lonely, this was before Carrie, if I make this right turn, I will just get sucked into this whole church thing. And since I make $2 million a year, they're going to expect 10% of it. That's $200,000 a year. So I thought it over, and uh, I turned left. And it was a very nice softball field. At these points in my life, I may have been Jesus-proof. An abusive childhood and my rapid attainment of success had hardened my heart. Jesus ran into a guy like me in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So back at the corner of Zaragoza Road, Interstate 10, in El Paso, on a sunny Sunday morning, this rich young ruler encountered Jesus and chose to go away sorrowful, for I had great possessions. You see, I thought I had a lot of money, but it turned out a lot of money had me. For several years after failing to make this right turn, the business thrived. And with Carrie soon thereafter, I was no longer lonely. 
I at least had begun giving emotionally and financially to her. But I had no faith. And when you don't live in faith, you live in fear. Every day, I was consumed with what could cost me my small empire. And that became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Almost once a month, month, this huge man with a gun would knock on my door. He wore a uniform, carried a badge. He would hand me yet another stack of papers indicating that someone else was suing my company. I'd crave justice, and justice was coming to my door. Some of these suits had no merit, things like an off-duty driver getting in an accident while still wearing our uniform. But one was very serious. Our middle-aged driver, whose driving record indicated he had never had a single moving violation in his life, ran a stop sign into a family of four in a subcompact. The insurance company paid out a huge settlement. So after that, my company was uninsurable under my ownership. Feeling that I could come back and restart in nice, nicer places in a few years, I sold the stores to my managers in exchange for five years of payments. Other than Carrie, I was still not giving a dime to anybody, though I did pat myself on the back for being so generous to the managers. Life was better. I had Carrie, we had TJ, and later our second child, Patrick, and I had some experience with love. We had moved to the Dallas area as I searched for new business opportunities. In 1991, one of the stores had been resold and the new owner was unable to make the payments as the business had become hugely competitive. I moved quickly to foreclose and ended up having to move away from my little family for a few months in order to restore the store to profitability. I was there helping out in that store near Fort Carson in Colorado Springs when an old man pulled up in a camper. He was wearing a cowboy outfit and his camper had a big sticker, something like Cowboys for Christ. He was on a mission from God. I didn't know the man, but he knew me. I didn't love him, but he loved me. I did have words for him, but he had the word for me. He explained that my secular Jewish grandfather and grandmother had taken him in and given him a place to stay as a young man when he had no other accommodations. And therefore, he had known my mother since he was a young child. Through her, he had followed my business career for years, especially after his own same-age son had died in the Marine Corps. So Don Weir stood next to me as I cut pizzas that day and explained to me the love that is God. He asked me why I made such excellent pizza. I explained that it was to maximize 
prophets. He told me, no. It was because I loved people and wanted to share love with them in every pizza. He shared the fact that almost everything I had done in life was about giving love, not getting. And that was why I had been so successful in business. God knew me long before I ever knew God. God was in me long before I was ever in God. He explained that I had the love in God in me and had it since I was created, that my deceased Jewish grandfather was absolutely full of the love of God and enjoying him in heaven regardless of his lack of formal religion. I've never been hit by lightning, but I'm guessing what I felt was similar. Instantaneously, my entire worldview changed and it's as if my head was spinning. I was unable to work or even really function for several days. No one day in my life has been so significant. It literally blew my mind to the point where my wife took me in for a mental health assessment. It changed me in a great way as I saw the light of God, God the giver. The experience was my very own road to Damascus and I think the death of the rich young ruler in me. I'd been raised in a world of survival. Just getting by each day was a struggle and I took what I can get. Later as a business person, it was a world of success, trading with others for mutual advantage. But now I was aware of the kingdom of significance in God's economy of love where there's no stealing or trading, but giving and receiving in a beautiful dance of love. So this rich young ruler had come to Jesus. Did I give away all my possessions? No. But some might argue that they were taken away as my finances and influence are now a small fraction of what they were before this encounter. For 31 years, I thought I'd been living, but then Jesus, the Word of God, the Logos, the ultimate giver and gift, gave me his life, that to live is to give. So we're going to do something kind of unusual right now. We're going to take a short break from my sermon, and we ask everybody to stand up. Now that you're standing up, getting a little bit of a stretch, we once again have these in the card, these are in the back seat pockets of your pew area there. So everybody, I'm going to ask you to get one card and hold it up the way I'm holding mine up, and then I'll explain further. So one card, you might go behind you or down the row or something, but if everybody can get one card and hold it up. Looks like we got almost everybody. Super. So now, I don't ever want to see this particular card back in the uh, pocket. I want it to go right now in your pocket or purse. Just put it in your pocket and purse, and after communion, I'm going to explain a little bit more. But that was, the, that was our break. And please be seated at your convenience.
Well, Carrie and I visited two churches after this transformation. A Presbyterian church, where our son was already enrolled in a Mother's Day Out program, and an independent charismatic church in the shopping center across the street from my newest pizza store. Carrie was unsure if this experience had been good for me, but agreed to attend church, and we chose to start attending the charismatic church. We quickly made many friends among the young families attending there. We went about a year before putting any substantial money in the offering, but decided at the end of the year that tithing, which was suggested there, would be, a manageable, would be manageable since by now I'd sold most of my stores and had relatively little current income. So 10% of that would be no big deal. I was still deeply suspicious of the institutional church. So we decided to embrace a biblical principle when giving, to do it anonymously. There it is, okay. In Matthew chapter six, verses one through four, Jesus is speaking. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. One of the reasons for giving anonymously was this church was going to move out of the shopping center someday, and I figured the pastor, who I really liked, would try to hit me up for a big donation if he'd seen my giving coming in. So what we did instead was I'd go to the bank and I'd get thousands of dollars in cash, stuff it in an unmarked envelope, and drop it in the offering bucket. And we continued to give that way for a number of years, but guess what? When they did decide to build that new building, the pastor came right to me, had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with me in his office to show me the plans, and asked me to help fund it. So I guess he was just led by the Holy Spirit, or uh, maybe he noticed the cars we were driving. I don't know. So for 14 years at that church, Grace Outreach Center in Plano, Texas, we gave 10%. But it was not 10% of our income because we actually had very little income. We decided to give 10% of our spending as we lived by drawing down on our savings. For most of those years, this giving was substantial in dollar terms. But it was not significant in terms of our lifestyle. No car went unpurchased, no vacation went untraveled because of our church giving. We moved three times during those 14 years into ever more cavernous McMansions. But we left that church in 2006 after the death of TJ, our oldest son. Unfortunately, the picture we put back up was taken the day before his first brain surgery, and he died of a brain tumor three years later. The story of his life, his suffering, and his death is worth hearing, but on another day. Carrie felt uncomfortable continuing in a now very large church where everyone knew us as the parents of the boy who had died.
We ended up across town at Gateway Church, which had gone from startup to one of the largest churches in America in about 10 years. It was easy to be anonymous in that big crowd. Pastor Robert Morris there is well known for his book on giving, The Blessed Life. From the title, you might guess that the book advocates giving in order to get. But his heart is, give in order to truly live. However understood, the result there has been a congregation that has been transformed by the Holy Spirit into very generous givers. So the big change we made in our giving going there was from being end-of-the-year tippers to first-fruits tithers, making Jesus, or at least this outpost of his church, the very first priority in our spending. We gave a similar amount, but used their online recurring giving, the same software program now used here, in order to have our offerings transferred out of our bank account every Monday morning. By coincidence, or blessing of God, this coincided with an uptick in our income, so that when we got to the end of that first year, we'd actually given only 8% instead of the planned 10%. I now had a business that was producing income rather than continuing to live off savings, which had become pretty meager. So what I'm asking of you is to uh, please pray about what to give and make it the very first line item in your budget. If you've been without a budget, start one and you'll likely find the money you save is more than the money you give. The first fruits principle is found in at least 29 Bible verses, Old Testament and New Testament, including Proverbs, 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Since I've been at the sanctuary, I've extended this principle a bit as it works with my circumstances. Jesus wants to be the first priority in your life. So I believe giving should be the first and largest amount of money that goes out of my household. So my standard of giving now is more than my mortgage payment. Whatever we give is a reflection of the priority we put on Jesus, who is the ultimate giver. Some may wonder about biblical tithing. It was much more than it first appears to be. While tithing means 10%, the Old Testament called for three separate tithes of 10% each, two that were paid every year and one that was paid every third year, making the total about 23%. And remember, Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give 100% of everything. But we are not under the law, only the law of love. So is it okay not to give? or give sparingly? Certainly, but it likely leaves you with a life farther away from God than you otherwise would have. In Jesus, you have ultimate freedom, including the freedom to reject him and his ways. And in Jesus, you have the ultimate example 
the God-man who gave to the point of death on a cross for your freedom and grace to give. True freedom is in your heart, mind, and soul. If a message like this has you wondering if you're giving as you could be, you may need to accept his grace in this area. All that you have has been given to you. Therefore, anything you give is passing on the grace of God to others. Even as I've talked about generous giving, let there be no coercion. The only law we are under is Jesus' law of love. In Jesus, we are free indeed. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. Each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. Choosing to give cheerfully and generously may involve a change in your lifestyle. Maybe driving that old car a little longer or possibly not even moving into that big new house. So what will take the place of these consumable goods? How about a bigger helping of Jesus? When reading the story of the rich young rulers, starting in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it is preceded by a seemingly unrelated text in Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for so much to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So what do children have to do with giving? Children don't give, they receive. More important is what children don't have control. They live lives totally dependent on the giving of others, with typically no control whatsoever of even their most basic needs. So to give generously is to give up control, to become childlike, to have faith in God and his economy of giving and receiving rather than the world's economy, and to express faith in one of the most tangible ways. For you see, seizing control of yourself and for yourself is the big sin. It's what led Adam and Eve to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's what has led each of us away from God until he, by his grace and mercy, brings us to himself. It's the reason for the sacrifice of Jesus. Who you give to is of secondary importance as it is the act of giving that changes you far more than the results of giving. In terms of the benefit to you, it may not even matter. A key is to be like a little child and give up some control over your finances. So I believe most of the benefits of giving accrue to the giver, but what about the receiver? Why, who should be at the other end of your generous giving? Not surprisingly, as we gather here in the sanctuary, of the sanctuary, 
I believe the best place for your resources is here at the sanctuary. I don't know how much experience each of you has with other churches and preaching pastors, but what's going on here is truly incredible. If Peter were just a wind-up preaching machine, preaching on whatever to whoever, just by what that he would be one of the best preachers I've ever seen. I've probably been to a hundred different churches, either in person or online, in the last ten years, many of them with famous preaching pastors, and I've found none who are better and more persuasive communicators than our very own Peter Hyatt. What makes Peter incredibly special is not just how he preaches, but what he preaches. Peter has a depth of understanding of the Word of God that is fantastic. When he preaches on a passage or subject, I come away with a view of God that is fresh and rings true. And the message is a message, not many messages. If you've had the opportunity to go back to the online archives or have attended for a long time, you know that the message is one just as God is one. And the message is of God's unfailing love for everyone in the world. And it goes way beyond Peter. Perhaps you were here the week after Easter when Vance delivered his moving testimony about both his personal transformation and the community that exists here at the sanctuary. I believe that focusing your generous giving here at the sanctuary will help in creating more fruit, the fruit of the word. That God is always better than you thought. The love of Jesus is deeper than you know. And the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. The sanctuary has a unique logo among churches. The biggest feature is the fire. Not a single flame or flicker, but a raging fire. We believe that God is the fire, and all shall enter the fire upon earthly death. We will pass through the fire, or the fire will burn the hell right out of us. Your choice to give is you facing the fire. We pass through the fire by grace, and we give by grace. The giving fire that is God can burn if you're not surrendered to it. Making the transition from your way to Yahweh can be somewhat painful. A heart to give is a heart that has moved through the fire and fully in to God's kingdom. The fire is God's love given to us constantly and eternally. It is Jesus and him crucified. So are you a stream of love? Does the love of God flow out of you? Are you a living sacrifice? Your financial giving is a representation of what God has given you and you have freely chosen to give to others. To give out of what has been given, that is the choice you face. For you see, he's already provided all you need to live. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread that is life, gave thanks, broke it, 
and proclaimed, this is my body broken for you. And later, he took the cup and poured it out saying, this is my blood shed for you. When we take and eat and drink of Jesus, you have all you need right here. Everyone is welcome to come and share in the feast of Jesus. Take a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup. The dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice. Both are the blood of Christ. Thanks, Michael and the band. Well, as Michael and the band sang one song ago, take me deeper. So now I want to explain this card to you. This is your take me deeper card. We're asking you to take this home simply as a reminder that one of the ways you can get deeper with one another and with the church as an institution is to register at sanctuarypeople.com. A lot of you have already registered at sanctuarypeople.com and we thank you for that. However, even if you've done that, still bring this card home because now we're asking you to go a step farther. One of the sections of Sanctuary People is scheduled giving. and We're going to ask you to do scheduled giving. Now, if your budget is tight and you can only give a dollar a week, that's fine. But please, we're asking for a commitment to scheduled giving. And if you're watching on the internet, that uh, sanctuarypeople.com is kind of like your virtual offering basket. It's right in front of you right now as I'm speaking, so just click on over to it and you can register for that too. All right. Well, God is good and he loves you and wants the very best for you. A lifestyle of generous giving is part of God's best for you. May God bless you and keep you in his love as we go forth together to spread his love and enjoy Father's Day in the name of Jesus. Amen.